Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello? Looks like we had a little bit of glitch here. Our microphone or something on their end wasn't working. This is Patty Holstrand and this is KWOD Radio. And we're on live today with Sharon Skinner. But before we get to Sharon, I decided it looks like she might be on the line is... We want to go over a couple of shout-outs. And one shout-out is to a young man named Christopher who's trying to get from Malaysia to Finland. I know it seems, seems interesting, but he is trying to get to Finland to work. So every little bit helps. He needs his visa, He, you know, all those things that you need in order to get from one location to another. And believe it or not, they have residence permits and and all sorts of things. So, you know, he needs his passport and all those incidentals that he needs to be able to get to a different country to work. So, please, every little bit helps. And I'm going to put that information. Uh, he has his uh, crowdfunding on youcaring.com. That's youcaring.com, not one that's known uh, as well as others. And the project is called... To Finland or bust. To Finland or bust. I know it's fun. So definitely take a look at that one. And also another shout out to to uh, a brand new one. Well, actually, you know what? I'll talk about that one later because it has to do with, with a little bit about Sharon and, and uh, some things that she's into. So we are definitely going to be live here. But we want to do an intro here. Karen, she is an award-winning author, so we're very excited to have her on board. She's also from Arizona here. Well, she's originally, 
not originally from Arizona, but she's definitely here now. And she received a BA in English from Prescott College, which I, you know, that's interesting that she be up north here. Of course, Prescott is part of Arizona. And yes, they had trees there. And speaking of trees, it looks like we've got a dust storm going on outside and looks like it's threatening to rain. So we can only hope. I know. Rain in, in the desert was a concept. From uh, 1996 to 2004, Sharon has served as executive editor for Anthology Magazine, a small press literary magazine published in Mesa, which, of course, is where we are stationed right now. Her work has, has appeared in a number of periodicals, including Green's Magazine, New Moon Rising, The Mesa Legends, well, we'll have to talk about that one for sure, Mosaic Minds, and the Barnes & Noble Metaverse Poetry Anthology. She had her roots in poetry, and she expanded into fiction, and she's got a couple of books that we're definitely going to be talking about today. But what's interesting about her is that she's got such a diverse life experiences. And if you read her her information on uh, right underneath the show, you scroll down, you've got like her old bio there. And she moved to Arizona in 1981 after a four-year stint of the U.S. Navy where she learned electronics and traveled halfway around the world on the USS Jason, a repair ship and first naval vessel to take a contingency of women on a full six-month Westpac cruise. So we definitely find her interesting, and we know you will too. Sharon. Hi, Patty. How are you? <laughs> Good. It's an odd one outside, so, you know, it's uh, got this dust drum coming in. Did you see that? Yeah, it's that time of the year. We, uh, yeah, it's been threatening for quite a while today over here in this part of the valley, so we expect to see hopefully some some wet stuff. Yeah, because, you know, we, we don't like to have sand with, you know, and, and dust without some kind of wet stuff. Yeah, knock it back down so we can breathe again. I know. I know it. Got to dump some water so that way, you know, it clears out the air. It would be nice. <laughs> and that happens so, so it, this doesn't happen very often here. So we definitely like it when it happens. I Did you hear a little bit of what I said about your great diverse life experiences? Mm-hmm. I was listening. <laughs> and you know, I didn't even get into your grant writing. <laughs> yeah, I um you know, I've had kind of a zigzaggy path through life uh for my career. Interestingly enough, through it all I've always written. It's one of the the things that I've always done is I've always been a writer. I started in grade school and uh I never really have quit. You know, I went through a phase where it was short stories in grade school, and then I moved into poetry. Of course, when I was a teenager, I got a lot of angst out in my poetry, as we all do. And um, as I got older, my poetry got a lot more focused, and I got into woven poetry, patterns, poetry that, that works in patterns, you know, and explored a lot of that. And then... I 
was taking a creative writing class at one point many, many moons ago. And one of the things that we were asked to do was to write the first chapter or two of a novel as part of this creative writing class. And I sat down and write, wrote, uh, drafted the entire uh, novel and <laughs> in just a few weeks. And it was just so thrilling to me. And then I realized that at that point that what I had to say needed a bigger format, you know, to to be for me to really tell my stories. And that's when I started novel writing. Wow. See, usually people get started with short stories and then they work up. <laughs> well, so I did. Not... I mean, I did some short stories when I was younger, and I and I I've written some short stories since I've been doing the novel writing. But, you know, short stories are not easy. You know, we we no. <laughs> we think shorter writing as being easy, but short stories are not necessarily any easier than novels. Um they're they're challenging to do well uh and in their own way. Yes, indeed, because we have to tell those it has to make sense. But with less right. words, <laughs> and you want to have right, and you want to have this full arc. You want to really um, explore some sort of emotion or you know some sort of character in in a much shorter space. And having something that comes out really satisfying for the reader, I think, is it can be often be a, a bigger challenge to do it in the short form in some ways. Especially when with me, I have so many layers that I want to explore in my excuse me in my writing. And that and that is a good point. Uh, something that again, like you said, a lot of people don't realize how hard that particular you know job is, and it is kind of daunting if you if you if you can, you know, they think well, you know, novels are daunting. Well, yes, it is, but on the other hand, if you try to do a successful short story, you see how <laughs> how hard it is compared to something that's short, that's longer and you have more uh, room, your breathing room. Right. They're both challenging in their own ways. Mm -hmm. You really have to stick to it with the novel, and you have to be able to have enough story and enough character arc and enough um, of interest to keep the reader engaged throughout. But with a short story... Go ahead. I was going to ask you, what was your first story then that you started in your creative writing class? The first book? The first novel? Yeah. The Nelling Stones, which is the one that's just now come out. It's just been published this year, and it came out in March. Uh, the first draft of that was written in 1985? No, let's see, 19... Would have been 95. Wow. No, 85. 1985. Would have been the first um, draft of that in 1985. And it wasn't very good. I will admit it was very first first draft. It was very early writing for me. I had a lot to learn, but I got so excited when I was writing it that I actually would get up and pace the room. I'd ha- I would have to get up and walk and pace the room and get some of that energy out uh, before I could sit back down and finish writing the more exciting and dramatic scenes. And and I loved it so much, and it just sort of poured out of me so rapidly and so easily that, um, you know, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is what I really want to do. This is, these are, 
this is the stage upon which I want to showcase my stories, this larger format, this novel format. Of course, it took me a lot of years to learn how to do it really well and how to edit myself to a point where it's publishable. But I'm still excited about the writing very often. I have um, a novel in draft right now that I'm very excited about. I love the voice. I love spending time with the character. And I think that that's kind of key. If you don't love spending time with your characters in a novel, the reader won't either. And you, you need to spend a lot of time with them, more time than a reader will because it takes a lot more hours to write it and and revision it and make sure that it's an engaging story than it does to sit down and read it. Absolutely. So it took you quite a while to not only learn the craft then, uh, but you had to pick that story back up and do uh, that part, you know, start rewriting it. Uh, And is that the reason why you didn't get back to it right away, or is it that a different story kind of, decided to, or the characters started to get in your way? Well, I think it was a combination of things. Um, You know, I I actually, at that time, was working on my AA, so my associate's degree. And then I went on to finish my BA, and then I actually got my master's in creative writing from Prescott up, um, up north, but it was a distance learning program. And in between drafting that first novel... And uh, the next one, I had a lot of, I did write some short stories. I wrote a lot of poetry. I was in the slam scene, so I did a lot of spoken word, and I was very focused on that, along with having a job. I was I was working full-time, had a couple of kids to raise, uh, and I was going to school. So the novel kind of got put away until I was working on my master's in creative writing, and at that time... Uh, one of the things that I ended up doing is I had I had had a seed for another novel, but I had sort of begun to to write shortly before I started my master's work. And during the master's work, I I ended up doing a um, an 18 month program for my master's. And during that time, I actually completed the second novel, which actually turned out to be my first published novel, The Healer's Legacy and used it as part of my thesis for my creative writing. So my thesis was 70-something pages long, and it was accompanied by a 200-page novel, basically. Uh-huh. And and the thesis was uh, based on the premise that fantasy literature works as resistant texts to social norming. So my my concept behind that is that, you know, we get a lot of messaging, especially since our our, our social norming tends to still be very patriarchal. Uh, women still don't have the equality that um, that I think that as a human, humanist, which is what I am, um, I would like to see us have. We're not on an equal footing in many ways, and we get this messaging through marketing and sales and through a lot of other places that very much skews our our own self-image as women, as young girls. And fantasy and all sorts of other fiction, science fiction, uh, things like that, not only can explore uh, our environment and our social situation from enough of a distance to help us to see 
these things a little more clearly, but also it gives us an opportunity to provide a place where women can be strong, they can be heroes without being superwomen, they can be, you know, they can be human and be okay and not be perfect and yet be heroes in their own stories. And and to me, this creates a resistant text that can push back against that social norming that we're getting with all this marketing and all these things that we're being barraged with that are telling us a different story about who we are. And it, and and therefore, it pushes back against that and gives us a platform from which to understand ourselves and, and to view ourselves in a better light as young girls and as women. And so that was the idea behind writing The Healer's Legacy in a way that showed that it was okay to be different, it was okay to be a strong woman, even in a social setting that didn't promote that. Well, hopefully awesome. that doesn't put anybody off from writing, reading the book because it's also <laughs> a really good story. <laughs> well, again, this is again, it's fantasy. It's a great story. It's just, you know, and honestly, there's a lot of books, uh, especially in fantasy, that uh, have these kind of, you know, either political or sociological uh, ideas behind it. Uh, and it, it's just perfectly fine to, to, for that to happen. Um, right. You know, even Shakespeare had his own political agendas. <laughs> right. And, and and that's why I t- when I talk about the layering that I put into my work, you can read it just as a story, and people have. They've just read it as a story. Oh, a nice book, you know. Oh, I like this story, or I like this character. But you can read it on a deeper level, and in fact, multiple levels uh, in the story, and get a lot more out of it. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the reader and how deeply they they read. Yes, I find that sometimes they they read so fast that they're just getting like the superficial part of the story and not really investing as much. <laughs> and you know, after all the the months and years that we spend on their books, <laughs> if they can get it done that fast, it's like wow, you know. Wish you guys yeah, could have spent you, a little more time with it. <laughs> yes, but on the other hand, you know, people enjoy things and and read in their own ways and any kind of art. You know, it's that whole joke about um, when you hang the picture on the wall and someone says it's upside down. You know, it. What you see in the art, and, and and to me, writing is, you know, very much an art form for me of, of expression, but I also know that the reader is going to view through their own lens what they're reading. They're going to have their own experiences that they bring to it, uh, just as you do when you're seeing a picture on the wall. You'll interpret it based on your own life experiences and your own knowledge and so I learned to be a very deep reader early on because of my fascination with English literature and things like that. And I've had some great, great instructors uh, throughout my education to help me to learn to be a deeper reader. <clears throat> but <clears throat> sometimes people just want to read for the enjoyment of it, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Definitely. Uh, you know, we were talking also about uh, all your other life experiences, and I thought it was fascinating, all the different places that you have written stories at. 
uh, to different places. And one of them kind of uh, stood out to me, the Mesa Legend, which I happen to know is the newspaper for the Mesa Community College. Yeah. Yes, it is. I, I went to Mesa Community College. I got a great education there. I, I have, firmly believe that community college system is, it, this one especially, it, it's a great system. And I actually was, um, for a while, a freelance writer for The Legend, and then for a little while I was considered staff. And I did a lot of um, op-ed pieces and things like that, so in, uh, human interest stories, that kind of thing. I did one one year for Valentine's Day that talked about um, safe sex, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, so I, I had some very interesting assignments while I was there, and I really enjoyed writing for the legend. Uh, journalism writing is definitely different than creative writing. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. And and I know that um, it's also different than technical writing, and which is yes. what I do my day job. So uh, as my day job, I write grant proposals. And that's basically a form of technical writing. And also when I was doing the biomedical field service engineering, which is what I did when I first got out of the Navy. So I, I worked in the hospitals and laboratories installing and maintaining their, their laboratory equipment. I actually did some technical writing there. I wrote some manuals and some maintenance um, processes and things like that. So when I say I've always been a writer, that's what I'm talking about. I I write across the gamut of the, the forms and styles of writing that you can explore. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> and you know, not everybody can do uh, you can write in so many different varieties of styles. So that's definitely something that you know, you're gifted at. Well, thank you. I think it's a. It has to do with my. Uh, I'm a bit of a dichotomous individual, and so my left brain and my right brain do tend to war against one another, or they did when I was younger. And I think I've tried to teach them that they can live in harmony if they just let. One, if I can, if I can spend some time left brain, and then I can spend some time right brain. Uh, you know, everything tends to balance out. I don't get too stuck, and I don't end up competing stuff. Well, I want to let everybody know now. Um, we do have some weather, pretty bad weather coming in here. So if if by chance I know some other areas of town earlier this week had uh, suddenly lost their electricity, if that happens, then, you know, we'll just dodge and weave and see if we can get back up pretty quickly. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> if you're out of electricity because everything's shut down, there's not much you can do. I'm just warning you ahead of time. Now, also, I want to let everybody know that I don't have to have Sharon all by myself. So, uh, I know you've got a few people sitting there and chat. If you guys have questions and you don't want to call in, you can go ahead and write it, write your questions or comments on the, under the chat area, which is just below the show. So, you write that in there, and I will ask a question or you know give relay the comment to Sharon. Also, the call in number is seven one four. Two four two five one four five two four two five one four five. I'm going to get back down to something that you know I was talking about how diverse your your life experience have been. You were talking about being in the U.S. Navy, and then also you talked about 
um, being a DJ. <laughs> you are just so diverse, woman. I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> well, it's interesting cause, because what happened was um, I was, uh, before I went into the Navy, I had actually gotten a short, um, for a short time, gotten a job at a radio station. I was actually doing sales and marketing for a radio station, you know, where you go out and you talk to businesses and you say, hey, we want to, you know, do a live broadcast from your roller rink or whatever it is. And meanwhile, one of the DJs heard my voice and asked if I would do some commercials. So I actually got paid quite well for uh, for these, these commercials because they, for the few minutes that it took to record them, um, I got more money than what I was making in commission doing the, you know, setting up these businesses. But the the fun thing was that uh, because I have this, I tend to have a, a deeper voice for a woman, they were having me do things like waterbed commercials and oh. those kinds of things. Yeah. And I actually had people who would actually call them up and request to have me come on at my voice uh, as their for their advertising. So that was a lot of fun. Then when I went into the Navy... When I was over, when I was on the USS Jason, we were we spent uh, two and a half months stationed at Diego Garcia, which is um, called the. It's actually known as the Footprint of American Freedom. It's a small island in the middle of the Indian Ocean that the United States leases from from the British, and uses it as a military base to get us you know, closer to the Middle East and places like that. Well, I haven't, and this is going to date me because I was in the Navy during the Iran hostage situation. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, uh, so we were there for two and a half months, and my ship was an AR-8, which is a repair ship. So we could basically repair any other ship from the waterline up and some things below the waterline. We had our own divers and everything so we spent two and a half months at Diego Garcia actually doing repairs and, and maintenance for a lot of the ships that were there because of the Iran hostage situation. And so we would have carriers there and we had nuclear subs there and, you know, we had other ships that would come to us and ask us to repair their electronics, you know, or what have you. Well, two and a half months is a long time to be sitting at sea, and there was no pier at that time. There is now, but there was no pier at the island, so you would have to take the small boats in to and from the ship to the to go to shore. And hmm. while I was ashore one day, I happened to be talking to this fellow who ran the radio station there, the Armed Forces uh, radio station at Diego Garcia, and he we got to talking about my experience, and he said, well, how would you like to do your own show? So I said, sure. So for the, the the last couple of months that I was there, I was the Saturday morning FM rock jock on Armed Forces Radio in the Indian Ocean, and I was the first female <laughs> voice to be carried on those particular sound waves out there. Wow. It was that, fun, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably got a lot of fans at that time. I did. Know. I had a lot. Of, I, you know, it was an early morning show. Um, it started fairly early in the morning. Uh, on a Saturday, and surprisingly, there were quite a few call-ins for requests. Well, yeah, so you, you, you know, show people you know, do their errands. Yeah. 
Well, you're, we were, okay, so there were 48 women on my ship. There were 928, uh, a crew of 928, 48 of us were women. The island had a contingency of, I want to say it was uh, 1,100, uh, and it was uh, mostly Seabees. And then we had all those other ships that were that would come in uh, and be there for repairs and stuff. So, you know, they didn't hear a lot of female voices out there. So, yeah, I had, I had a fairly big fan base. Well, you know, I knew there was a story there. <laughs> and it's great to, to find out more about that. I read it. Says, "Okay, we got we got to talk about this because I could just tell there was a great story in there, and and it was. That's awesome that you two be you know uh, on the Orange Radio Station. That's that's that is a lot, and you've gotten yeah, around to you've gotten around to other countries. Um, any any other place other than the Indian Ocean area, or is that you know pretty much where well, you were?" Like- well, no, we we did a six month cruise, so uh, and we were the first we were on the first ship that took women on a full six month west pack. There was one ship prior to us that went out for a few weeks with women aboard and then came back, and we were the first ship that just that actually took women on board. We lived there; it was our home, and we we went on a full six month west pack. But we but we lived on the ship year round. So wow, we we went from. Uh, from San Diego, we were stationed out of San Diego, and we went from there to Hawaii and from there to the Philippines. So I have to see the Philippines. From there we went to Japan, spent a month in Japan. Japan was amazing. Mostly I ate because the food was marvelous. But I also got to go and see a lot of really interesting things, uh, kabuki theater, things like that. And then... Um, from there, we went to the Indian Ocean and the Indian Ocean and the Indian Ocean. <laughs> and spent that two and a half months at Diego Garcia. And then we went to Australia, and we were in Australia for, I want to say six or seven days, right around a week. So that was pretty exciting. Um, and, you know, so I got to pet a kangaroo, things like that. And then we came back to Hawaii and came back to San Diego. And then, and then most of the ship, Shipmates, most of my shipmates got off the ship, and then we went back to because we were reassigned. That ship was reassigned to become the island hopper for the for the Hawaiian Islands, and I rode the ship back to Hawaii and only had nine days left in the Navy by the time you know we got back there, and so I spent a lot of time hanging out on the beach before they flew me home. It was quite fun. Yeah. Now I I know that uh, Ray Bradbury often said that your experience, life experiences always seem to come out in your story, and you have to let them ferment and you know come out in their own accord. Do you find that there's some things that that you've done in your past that seem to come out in your story? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I think there are a couple of things that go on, and um, you know, one is that you write from life experience. You write from those things that you've you've either directly or indirectly uh, experienced in your growth as as a person. You write about the relationships that you've had. I think it just automatically comes out on paper. There's not a lot you can do to stop it, I don't think, as a writer. The other thing, too, is that I think it's important to feed the hopper. And what I mean by that is, 
that I try to stuff as many, I'm a voracious reader. So I'm always looking at information. I'm always reading mythology. I'm reading other books. In fact, I just uh, reread some Bradbury recently because I wanted that poetic, amazing language of Bradbury to to start to seep back out through me. So I think that um, when I say feed the hopper, it's, I, I want to add all those things into my brain that I hope will somehow find its way out into my stories. And I, and I don't mean that I'm, I'm going to copy Bradbury's language, but that his, his amazing use of language will, help, will filtrate through me and come out in, in my own style. Things like that. Right. So I'm always reading, and I read a lot of fiction, nonfiction, uh, mythology, poetry, science fiction, fantasy. I, you know, kids' books, adult books. Just very voracious reader. So I'm always reading or listening to a book on tape and things like that. I'll watch television to try and get the feel of dialogue and to watch how characters interact. Things like that. And the fortunate thing is that. We have so much media that surrounds us that it's easy to do that. The unfortunate thing is that um, it can be time-consuming. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but um, but I think that it's important to always feed the hopper. I definitely agree. And she's not just talking about education. She's talking about, you know, doing things in your life and then and, and also reading in order to continue the cycle. And, uh, and hey, it's so great to hear that you uh, are reading some Ray Bradbury. That's, uh, that's who I fell in love with first. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just read. Um, I just finished uh, from the Dust Returned, mm-hmm. and it's it's just he was he was writing magical realism before there was a name for magical realism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and he also said that he's not a science fiction writer. Says he always said that he was a he wrote stories about people, right? People and relationships. Yes, and he was very much into that. No matter what the ages, and he really get it. Uh, really loved uh, exploring the young the young boys. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, I think uh, that yeah, I think life. that he, yeah, he. I think that he revisited his own youth often mm-hmm. and well mm-hmm. for a lot of his writing. And I think that happens for me, too. I think that um, especially since I focus on uh, young adults and middle grade novels for the most part, those are the places where my voice seems to really true be true, uh, where that those are my strengths. I understand those characters and those relationships really well, and those are the stories that I really want to tell. So my, my protagonists tend to be a little younger, I will say The Healer's Legacy was a lovely surprise for me because I had written it as a young adult novel, but it has a huge, broad readership. I have readers from ages 12 all the way to 81 reading this book, men and women, who are coming back and saying how much they like the book, how much they enjoyed reading it, how much they like the characters. So that's been a really great and exciting thing for me because you just don't know when you write if you are going to hit that crossover audience when you're writing YA. And I think it's more common than it used to be that adults are reading the, the young adult novels, but mm-hmm. you just never know. And that's true. 
Uh, some people just, you know, they, they focus on the science fiction and that's all they want to read. But I think that the the thinning out because there's not so much of it right now. And so I think a lot yeah. a lot more younger people are getting into the fantasy stories. And so, fantasy and is starting to really take off again, which it yeah. wasn't for a while. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's everything. It's got an ebb and flow. Uh, right. You know, we have more mainstream sometimes, and and then we got uh, more genre. Uh, I think well, the genre really picked up. Yeah, genres picked up. Urban fantasy is huge. You know, all the mm-hmm. vampires, whether they sparkle or not, um, <laughs> really big right now. Uh, but uh, so a lot of urban fantasy too. You see that see a lot of that. Steampunk is really coming to the fore in both. Yeah. Uh, Science fiction and fantasy, so that's interesting to watch. That I'm, I'm a fan of steampunk, so it's interesting to watch how it comes to the fore. It used to be more obscure and cultish, and now it's really, you know, in not just in uh, literature, you know, in in, right. uh, in general, but you know, now more and more people are becoming exposed to the genre. There's more film out there. There's there's music out there. There's it's it's really interesting to watch that. It's really fun. Yeah, the costumes uh, you know, are becoming more mainstream too. Mhm. Yeah. And you know, uh, when that starts getting more mainstream, then you know we, we get a lot more people interested in that that in the time period. You know, the Victorian era. Right. It's a cool time. Cool time because of the fact that uh, more industrialization, uh, you know, more gadgets. People came up with ideas. Uh, they started creating, you know, creating things. So uh, that was a good, you know, cool time period because of that. A lot more. Right, uh, and then to have it reimagined, even kind of amplified, yeah. is it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I know that you're you had just put out. Um, a story or a book based on steampunk. Do you want to tell us about that one? Yeah, the uh, the first in uh, a line of stories, it's the Chronicles of Devara Tinker. I co-wrote it with Bob Nelson. And it's the story of this woman, and again, a very strong female character, who doesn't really quite fit into the Victorian uh, pattern <laughs> of a sophisticated lady, uh, but she can kind of fit in where she needs to. But she goes on these adventures and she she creates and builds these gadgets and, and makes these, uh, you know, bulletproof outfits and things like that for people. And she and her partner, go uh, Jonathan, go on the, all of these adventures and they have a really interesting relationship. And um, she kind of takes a lot of things in stride and he's, She's always kind of getting them into the, the the fray of things where they kind of have to battle their way out, and it, there's a little bit of uh, humor humor involved in that. That's a lot of fun to do, especially in the give and take between those two characters. So we are working on the the second of those. The first one is called uh, uh, the first one is the Paris story, and then we are working on the second story right now, and that's a fun process because. We'll come up with an idea, and then we'll take turns writing on it. So I'm waiting to get it back right now because Bob's doing his work on it. So 
Yeah, you guys are just being voracious lately. You've got the the new one, and then now you're working on the second one. Mm-hmm, yep. So, keep them busy. So what are you exactly writing about now? What are, what are you working on? I'm working on a couple of things. I always have things in the pipeline. So I mentioned earlier that I have an urban fantasy that is um, I just finished drafting, and it is sitting in the pipeline uh, in what I call the refrigerator. So it's in the chiller because I need to have time away before I can come in and figure out where all the plot holes are and things like that when I go to my do my second draft. While that's sitting in the chiller, I am actually just finished final revisions on the next middle grade book that's coming out uh, after the first of the year. It's a ghost story. It's called Mirabella and the Faded Phantom. And it's about uh-huh. a young girl who's dealing with the loss of her father. And she ends up moving into a house that is haunted by a ghost that's forgotten why it's there. And in her efforts to help this ghost remember who it is, she it actually helps her to come to terms with her own loss. Mm-hmm. And so that that one's coming out. And I'm really, really excited because I just got permission. There's a quote in there from... Peter S. Eagle's A Fine and Private Place that I really wanted to include in the book uh, as part of the story. And so Mirabella is reading that book, and she there's a place where she she wants to know what it means, and so she's asking the ghost. And so I've used a quote, and I actually just got permission from Peter S. Eagle to go ahead and use that quote, and he sent me the the front matter for the book and everything on how to credit it. So I'm really excited about that because I'm a huge, huge fan. And I had this huge fangirl moment where I was afraid to ask. I've heard he's a really nice guy, and yet I was really afraid to ask because what if he said no, you know? And I got a little panicked about it. And And then it dawned on me one day that, well, if he said no, I could rewrite that scene. So, because I'm the writer, I could do that. But I was so excited I um I sent him a message and he he responded very quickly within a day or two. And uh so there will be a quote in that book uh from Peter Beagle and uh I'm excited about that. So that's coming out. It's in um it's been it'll need it still needs to be you know put into format and then proofed and those things but there is an artist working on the cover and everything. So that's exciting. So that one's in the pipeline. The next one's in draft sitting in the chiller, and now I'm drafting the sequel to The Healer's Legacy, and I've got about 27,000 words written on that right now. So I'm about sure everybody's excited time. about that one, yes. <laughs> I am getting a lot of requests for that, so no pressure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. They, they, they you know, uh, fans do that. They get so excited about, uh, you know, uh, your work that they they start pushing you to get your second and third book out there. Right. And, and I, but uh, I don't uh, want to. But I. Yeah. But I want to do it right, and I want to give them something worth having, and I I don't want to let them down. So, um, so I am working on it. It's about a third of the way drafted, but again, once it's drafted, it'll have to go into the chiller. So, um, hopefully, that'll be my goal is to have it drafted before the end of this year. Uh, so that I can be working on the revisions after the first of the year while I'm marketing Mirabella and the Faded Phantom. There you go. 
How long do you keep your books in, in the chiller? Depends on what else I've got going on. Uh, I don't have a set time period. I just need at least six to, to eight weeks to get away from it, get my mm-hmm. brain doing something else so that when I go back, I get to read it with fresh eyes and a little bit right. of a fresh brain. And then I can see where oh where all the saggy spots are and things like that. I do use a number of tools for revisioning. And, and I say revisioning rather than uh, rewriting because sometimes you are revisioning the story or the character arc and things like that. So you're really, really looking at what is it you really want to say. Um, I have... A, I took a course from Darcy Pattison. She does a great, great retreat and some great courses on revisioning. She also has a website where she shares information and she's got some workbooks out on how to revise and revision and plot and things like that. So that's Darcy um, Pattison, P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N. I I really, really like what she has, the tools that she provides. And then I've also used some other things like the Plot Whisperer, Martha Alderson, and, and things like that as part of the tools in my toolbox. <laughs> that's a, that's important to have. There you go. Yep, it's it's important. And it's important to keep honing your craft, honing your craft. I'm I'm always trying to learn new things. In fact, every year I go to the writing conference for it's the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators International Writing Summer uh writing conference that I go to every year in LA. I go out there for a week and go to we do a lot they do a lot of workshops. They have authors there, they have editors, they have publishers, they have agents, they're all, you know, workshopping and talking about the craft and you just get immersed in it and that's pretty exciting. And then I also, I actually help to facilitate the local annual conference that takes place here in Arizona. So it's the Society of Children's Writers and Illustrators Arizona Conference and so I help to facilitate that along with other workshops. So we bring in different um, authors and industry experts. And so I'm constantly learning, constantly. Mm-hmm. I wrote down, just for for those who are listening, and I know you're there because I can see you in the dark, StarcyPatterson.com is on there. I put down the chat so that way you guys can just click and go onto, you know, to the website that she was just talking about. Also, uh, the books that we were discussing uh, is also the information on where to find them on Brick Brick Cave Media, uh, their website. So definitely click on there. Those are probably got the copy and paste into into the. They're a bit long, apparently, (laughs) to uh, automatically go into link format. But definitely click on you know uh, copy and paste them and, and find out more about these specific books. It's exciting that you have uh, gone into you know a lot of different uh, conferences and and also writers workshops. Do you suggest that highly for others, especially when they're getting started? Oh, especially when you're getting started. I um, for one thing, it's important to be learning everything you can about your craft. It's also important to network with other people so that you can find those people who are either going to be 
the people who work in your critique group or the people who you trust to be your feedback, your beta readers or your... Um, I have a person who is a very close friend and we edit each other's work. So we push back on each other quite a bit um, to make sure that we that the questions are answered and that the holes are filled and that the writing is the strongest that it can be. And it's very easy to think that you've covered all those bases when you're the writer. It's also easy to think you said what you thought you said when you wrote it, um, even when you read it, uh, which is why it's so important to have uh, beta readers and other people read it because you may know what you meant by that, but you know, when somebody else reads it, they may think, well, that doesn't look physically possible to me. I don't know what that person is supposed to be doing. You know, that character is all <laughs> twisted around in a circle. I, I don't know. Or it's awkward. I don't get it. Or, you know, that sort of thing. So I think it's really important. It's also really important for me even now to continually hone my craft. Writing is one of those things that you never, I don't think you ever get perfect at. You don't reach a pinnacle at. You can always, I think, strive for better in yes. in your yeah. writing. So I think that it's important to continuously hone the craft. But it's also one of the uh one of the jobs that you can do and you never have to retire from. <laughs> right. Right. Well and, so and the great thing for me for me, you know, I used to have people years ago who would tell me, I don't I don't understand it. You can't how do you write all day and then go home and write? You know, you you're crazy, and, and I don't understand it. But again, left brain, right brain. So if I'm writing technical stuff during the day, and I go home at night, I put my fiction hat on, and it's a whole other world for me. And, it, and it's a world I love to be in. So, And especially if you love your characters, and or if you love to hate on your characters. I had uh, someone <laughs> recently tell me how much they hated one of the antagonists in The Healer's Legacy, and I just did the happy dance because... Not only number one was that the intention, but number yeah. two is if she's if you hate her, she's real she's enough <laughs> you to think that she's a person that you dislike. So I yes, did my yes. job here. You did your job. You did your job. Yeah. <laughs> they have an emotional they have an emotional uh impact from that character. <laughs> right. And, and really real. that's right. And that's the whole idea for me. I've always believed that it's I've always wanted to reach readers. I've always wanted to have my work published, uh, not just to be a published author, but because for me, being it's important. I don't think it's a, it makes sense to have a transmitter without a receiver. And that goes back to my Navy days of, of working as, a, as an electronics technician. That's what I worked on with antennas and radios and things like that. But I think it's important to have a receiver for every transmitter. And... For me, that means I need readers. I want. I really want my work to touch people, to move people, to have them engage and, and have an emotional experience. I think one of the biggest compliments that I've had is that uh, someone on Facebook posted a little thing that said, you know that feeling when you've just been finished the book you were reading and you looked up and you look around and you see that everybody else has gone on with their life and has not just had an, a traumatic emotional experience like you've had. She's, that's what I just had with this book. And that and she was talking about my book, and, and that's just exciting for me. Yes, 
definitely. <laughs> that's what I aim for. That's that's the goal. Definitely, and and that's exciting. I I find that if somebody says, I couldn't put it down. I had to go to had to go to the bathroom with me. <laughs> uh, yes, the people who, who say, yeah, or the people who say, you got me in trouble because I couldn't put your book down and I went to work late. <laughs> You're going, I got my job. <laughs> exactly. Live you for those moments. You say, you say, oh, I'm sorry. But inside you're going, you're doing the happy dance. <laughs> I don't think I apologized for that one. I oh, just okay. did the happy dance. And I said, I'm so glad you like it. <laughs> and I'm sorry you were late for work. But I'm so glad you were <laughs> Yeah. So I guess I did apologize a little bit. Not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back and talk about uh, your poetry. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have a book out called In Case You Didn't Hear Me the First Time, which I thought was an interesting uh, name for, for a poetry book. <laughs> and I know that you were into, uh, you know, slamming, and uh, I have a few people who would like to understand better what that is. I figure you okay. might be able to enlighten them. <laughs> Okay, well, I was on the slam circuit for a while, and what that basically is is it's performance poetry, but it's done in a, a way that engages the audience, that's specifically designed to engage the audience by having audience members as judges to judge the performance and the content of the poetry in an Olympic-style numbering system, so from 1 to 10. And you have five judges in the audience and the high and low scores are thrown out and the three middle scores are added together and that's your score for that round. Slam's typically done in three rounds for uh, what they call a bout. And so each poet would get three minutes per round in three rounds. And at the end of the night, whoever has the highest points wins. And as a matter of fact, this Friday night is the Copper State Poetry (laughs) Slam the Phoenix Art Center, and I'm actually hosting the second bout at 8.45 on Friday night. So See how that worked Friday out? Night, <laughs> yeah. See how that worked in there? Friday night and Saturday night, they're doing that. So I was doing the slam circuit for a while, so I kind of got into this um, style of delivering my poetry in a performance manner. And since I did a lot of theater when I was younger, and in fact, when I first went to college, I was a drama major. I started as a drama major with an English minor um, when I was first going to college. And so I have a little bit of a background. I did a lot of community theater when I was younger. So I have a little bit of background for that, which is nice. I can project and I can perform. So that was a lot of fun. But um, So what you'll see in that book is some of the poems in that book, one of the reasons that it's titled what it is, is some of those poems were poems that I performed on that poetry circuit when I was doing the slam and the performance poetry. So some of those poems were written specifically for that time. And so that was kind of the idea behind the title. Now, there are some brand new things in the book as well and some short stories and some essays. There's even a couple of things in there uh, about my time in the military. There's one about Diego Garcia. So uh, it talks about the island from the perspective of being a young person in the Navy out in the middle of nowhere in this pristine environment. So there's um, there's a lot of that going on in there. And then 
the reason for the pictures on the front, the VLA, is the whole idea <laughs> of the transmitters and receivers and the listening, listening. Those, you know, the very large array in New Mexico is designed specifically to listen to sounds from outer space. And right. Right. So, so that was kind of the the idea behind the title and then the picture on the the cover. I actually took that picture, which is kind of fun. So. <laughs> For those who want to know more about the Poetry Slam, I have uh, included the the uh, link down in the in these again the chat area. It's clickable, so you click on it and it'll tell you more about what's going on this weekend. And where to get tickets, and what you possibly have been seeing, and it'd be a lot of fun. So I know I'm going out uh, in order to be able to do some speaking and uh, be able to witness the slammers. So it should be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. It's teams, so it'll be really fun, and we may get to see some really good team pieces. Those are really exciting when uh, when they do group pieces. Yeah, I saw them last year, and I was at the Poetry Slam last year when it was in Casa Grande. So okay, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely interesting. And that was my first experience of Poetry Slam. And then well, I saw them. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah, and I saw them at uh, saw some Poetry Slam for the first time at uh, Phoenix Comic Con, and I was absolutely amazed when I walked into this huge you know auditorium. And it was full of people enjoying Poetry Slam. And I'm going like, whoa, you mean people are actually into poetry? <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's performance, you know, it's performance poetry. And, uh, and and you've got people who are passionate about what they're writing. And yeah, that's what it's a little different than, than what you're used to hearing where people get up and flat read like academians tend to read their poems very flat because they want you to concentrate on the content. Whereas slam, it's fifty percent focused on content, and the other fifty percent is all about the performance. So they get you excited when when you start watching them because that, that's exactly what kind of uh, you know they want you to get excited about what they're saying. So exactly. it's, it's you, you guys got to try it out because it's definitely something to see, and of course you have fun. It's uh, about I would say is is even better than a comedy club. Because uh, more than likely they won't make fun of you <laughs> out in the audience. <laughs> it, yeah, you don't get heckled the same way. Yeah. There you go. Now, uh, what does your family think about your writing? How does that all, that interaction go with you? They're very supportive. You know, the girls are grown now, so they're out of the house. But I'll be honest with you, when they were still here at home, we had a system which is, was much like um, the on-air system for a radio station. I had a big piece of red paper that said working, and when I would go into my office to work, I would tape that above the door, and they learned very quickly that this was not the time to bother me, that I was going in there, and, and I didn't, you know, I didn't ignore them. I would come out and cook dinners and things like that, but for the hour or two hours where I needed to focus on whatever my writing or my schoolwork or whatever, I would drop this little paper down, this, this red sheet of paper, and they knew it, during this time not to ask for a pencil to be sharpened or, you know, a drink of water or anything. All that stuff needed to be taken care of before I went in 
or after I came out, unless it was an emergency. And they learned very early, very young, um, that that was the process. And they were really good about it. And, in fact, they were my beta readers uh, for uh, healers and for Nelly Stones. Wow. Because, you know, I mean, and I got honest feedback from them, which was really nice, you know. It's a little hard to take sometimes from your teenage daughters, but at the same time, (laughs) it was good feedback. So, you know, and that's what I asked for, so you can't really complain. No, that's definitely true, and and it's great that they are involved. So that's, you know, um, having written... The fantasy world, uh, there's obviously not a whole lot of questionable material in there, so uh, it probably helps <laughs> not to have any, have any of that in there. Well, you know, the girls, um, the girls have been exposed to a lot of language and ideas and concepts from an early age because slam poetry, yeah, we've always taken them to the slams and things like that, and even when they were younger, they learned how to get on the microphone themselves, how to host about how to be to public speak, which was really important. Harmony uh, did such a great job with it that when she got into high school, she ended up joining the debate team, and her school won regionals every year that she was on that team. So they won state and regionals. So that's pretty cool. And you know, they they learned how to have a, a presence in front of the room. But what what else it did for them is it exposed them to a a diversity of people and ideas that young kids don't necessarily get exposed to. Now, so sometimes the language, you know, was I would cringe a little, Awful. but be, but they would, <laughs> but, but they would get. But they, the thing is, is that they did not pick up that language and start using it. Like they knew that that language was for the stage and it was being used in a, a forum where it was appropriate, that it wasn't, and that it shouldn't be used for shock value and, and things like that because we would talk about it. And we talked about concepts and ideas that were that were talked about, racism and, and um, you know, ageism and, you know, the idea of freedom of religion and freedom of choice and gender identity and all of those things are, are subjects that are talked about very often in slam. And so the girls got really exposed to that and they really got exposed to all these great poets who came in all different sizes, shapes, colors, and, and identities. And mm-hmm. I think that that has fared very well for them that that they had that exposure because they're a lot more tolerant, right. I think, right. than they might otherwise be. So it's been a good thing. There you go. And that is just, that is so true. You know, if you keep it locked up, uh, you know these these ideas and and thoughts, and then you know, uh, and that's not really a good thing. It's not really healthy. So you know, you talk about it. You know, get it out there and talk about it with, with your kids, and and that way they'll understand it better, and there won't be uh, shock, and they won't be using it for shock value for others. So, yeah, you know. Uh, well, and we always so used to read the same books. You know, when when the girls were younger, I would read a lot of the books that they were reading. A lot of times I would read a good mm-hmm. YA or middle grade book, and I would say, hey, you, you might like this. And the great thing about reading the same books is that we were able to talk about the books and the characters right. and the stories and what we liked and what we didn't like. And, you know, and it gave us a lot more fodder for discussion 
than, hey, how was your day at school? Right. Yeah, I, I did the same thing with Max. You know, he was, I think almost the same age. He's 19 now. Um, and, you know, I wanted to know what these kids were reading. Why Why was Harry Potter such a big thing? So it's like I wanted to read it to find out so that way, you know, we could talk about it. And, and uh, then I'd be informed and not, you know, some of these parents who got up in arms about it. Uh, it's like, well, did you read it? Well, no, I didn't read it right. because it's trash. And I'm going like, how can you say that? How do you know? Right. Well, it's like Ara went through a phase where she was very, uh, well, she still really is a big fan of Ellen Hopkins. Ellen Hopkins writes very edgy YA. She writes about meth addiction and um, acting out sexually and things of that nature. And she, but she does it in, in, she does prose novels. So all of her um, novels are written in open verse or blank verse poetry. And Ara loved these books, and uh, I needed to get to read these books. Well, of course, being with SCBWI, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and going to all these conferences, I actually got to meet Ellen. She's a great person, and a lot of what she writes is from personal experience with her daughter and some of the things that the tribulations and trials that they've gone through, Um and so, uh, you know, she, and she's a great person. So I was able to get signed books for Ara and things like that. But Ara and I were able to talk about these things. Ara doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't do drugs. You know, she she was not sexually promiscuous as a teenager, but she read these books. It gave her the opportunity to see and hear about these things and in a way almost experience them without having to go out and experience them, I think, and yeah. and they were, and in some ways, they're cautionary tales. So because they show the the negative side of all this stuff, they don't they don't go in there and romanticize these things. Ellen right. does not do that. She she's very honest and truthful, and her novels are very honest and truthful. They're pretty amazing. She's got she's quite well known. And she's got a lot of books out, and I highly recommend that you that people read them, if nothing else, just to experience the format that she writes in, because she was one of the first to really write in this format. And she does it really well. She's very good at it. But I think that um, Ara and I were able to have these chats and these talks about you know these characters in his book as if they were real people, which mm-hmm. in some cases they are. And so, yeah, again, we're back to write what you know, write from experience, you know, you, yeah. how does that come out in your writing? And, and it really does. So, yeah. Yeah, it is it's so important to, uh, and, you know, I know some schools who probably would ban those books. Yeah. Um, and I sure hate to see that. Uh, so many books are important in a, a development of a child's life. And uh, some of the books that are banned are the ones that I would consider the most important to read. I agree. Yep. Absolutely so we agree it. with that sentiment. And if I remember right, it was Mr. Ray Bradbury who actually warned us about this. You know, banning books, <laughs> burning books. He did talk about that, yes. He wrote about that. <laughs> he wrote about that. He warned us, you know, that yeah. uh, once you start stifling society like that. 
<laughs> so it is so important that, and here he he wrote it in a fiction fiction story without having to beat his idea over our heads. Right, and that's the and that's the beauty uh, again of fiction, uh, and particularly I think science fiction and fantasy. It gives mm-hmm. us the opportunity to to put things at arm's length and view them from just outside that realm, it allows us to have a little bit better perspective because we we can get a little bit of distance from who we are and what we're and what our issues are and how our society and how people behave. I think that that is again that goes back to that whole discussion that we were having about resistive text and things like that. Uh-huh. I think uh-huh. science fiction and fantasy particularly lends itself to that because that you can see where we're headed rather than in many ways rather than um and and it's less real people have the ability to suspend disbelief and get involved in a story more readily when it's not as real to life that's hmm. my opinion and I'm sticking to it <laughs> <laughs> no i totally agree with you uh and the same thing goes with some television shows i mean uh you know uh, it wasn't just Roddenberry, but you know we're talking about we're talking a little bit about Roddenberry. Well, um, yeah, Star Trek. World. So, yeah, Star Trek. I mean, they in the you know seventies when Star Trek was out, they were looking at race and gender issues and things exactly. like that um, in a way that people found palatable. Right, they could get away with it because place. they put it they they put it up in space. <laughs> right, because it's science fiction. It's just science fiction, and you know, little did they know that that they were they were uh, the younger generation was being fed those these ideas, these ideals. Well, it goes you know. all the way back to you know when Gulliver's uh, Gulliver's Travels was written. It was actually a social social political statement, right. and you know the Big Indians and the Little Indians and all of that stuff. All of the things that he wrote about. Um, were social political statements, but they were done in a way that were it was at least palatable, and in some ways, uh, in some cases, some of the the things that were written back then, they had to be done that way because otherwise you could be imprisoned or beheaded because of speaking out <laughs> against the way things were. So, so that's I think you know part of where fiction <laughs> became Definitely that. Becomes <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Shakespeare. You know, he could have been beheaded for sure because he was definitely writing oh, yeah. about social issues. <laughs> well, his own political agenda. As far back as Edmund Spencer, too. I mean, you know, with the Fairy Queen. That there was a lot of stuff going on in there that was uh, hidden meanings <laughs> within the story. So he could have been in some big trouble, right? Otherwise, He'd you know, come right out it, and said those things. Yeah, that's true. And yet, you know, the readers understood it. Yet, you know, if they if you would call the forty, he said, "Well, this is just fiction." Right. You know, what what's it's the deal boring. here? <laughs> hey, fiction author, get away with everything. <laughs> we try. Yeah, we try. Don't we? we try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we put some ideas out there that sometimes are just are, are quite outlandish. But you know, we have fun with it. Uh, sometimes I wonder, though. Um, I know you're writing fantasy, but you know some of these authors who write. Uh, since you were in the military, perhaps you can you know, tell us what you think about this. Some of these authors who write 
stories about espionage and and some things that happen in in Iran and Iraq situations. Um, don't you think they get a little too close to reality and and perhaps give too many secrets away? Well, I guess it really depends on you know when they're publishing these things, you know, and what they're publishing. I mean. You talk about secrets, we really should, you know, do we really need to have that many secrets? And when, when is it okay to talk about right. this stuff? I mean, yes, we don't want to out somebody who's in the CIA. Of course we don't, because that's, that would be dangerous to them. On the other hand, we need to know what's going on out there. So, and, and a lot of times it's from their own perspective. So, again, you have to, you know, it's like, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And you're putting it together, and you put all the blue pieces in, and then you finally realize that all those blue pieces make an eye. You know, and you didn't know that when you saw the pieces. So sometimes you have to read. That's why I try to read very broadly to get as many different perspectives as I can. And there are things I want to throw at the wall, and there are things that I don't agree with, but I think it's important to at least get some exposure to that whole variety. As far as, you know, what are they writing on the Iraq war? You know, I'm not, I I wouldn't say that I've been reading a lot of that. Um, You know, aside from things like the stories of the war dogs and and things like that, those are kind of where I've been concentrating. Um, I don't read a lot of thrillers or espionage. Uh, I do read some, but, you know, there's, again, it's fiction, so I don't know how how close they're cutting to the bones. Yeah, because I'm not I, I I'm not privy to that information, I, I, so I I can't really judge. I have some people who asked me that question once before, and I, and I said, well, you know, it is fiction, but uh, and we do give uh, Americans, you know, publisher give an awful lot of leeway, I think, to uh, fiction authors, but on the other hand, it also, as you say, it does inform us of potentials for some of these things have have, have happened. Uh, so it's it's interesting that you know uh, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it does make for interesting fodder. So if you, it's kind of like going to college and you, you, you suddenly find out that, you know, the, uh, we have the CIA and that there they, they have been, you know, behind the scenes uh, saving us on numerous occasions um, and the Navy SEALs as well. So you find out this whole world that you didn't know was there. Absolutely. And, you know, and yes, there's a danger there. It can be a slippery slope to have these organizations, but on the other hand, not having them is also dangerous as well. So that becomes a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. So we know kind of why, what you're working on now. So tell us how to get a hold of you if if people want to know more other than the uh, places that I've already sent them. You sent them the, the website. You sent them to Brick, yeah, Brick Cave Media. And Brick Cave Media. And uh, I have my own website, www.sharonskinner.com. 
I have a Facebook page, so you can find me on Facebook. And I have a Twitter account at Sharon Skinner 56. So, um, and I tweet a lot of different things, a variety of things related to writing uh, grants as well as fiction and things like that. And then I will be, for those of who are local, my next big thing locally is that in September I am the local, the Mesa Library's local author for the month of September. So I'll be at the various libraries on Saturday afternoons. I'll be at a different library each Saturday during that month. I will be then, the next thing will be, I will be at Tuscan coming up in the fall. And I, so those are the kind of the things that are coming up. That's second and, um, weekend. Also, pardon? Go ahead. Sec- Go ahead. I'm just telling everyone to know that Tuscan is the second weekend of November. Yes, second weekend of November. And I am facilitating a local writing conference. Um, it's October, let's say it's October 12th this year, and that will be in Scottsdale. It's focused on uh, children's writing. So, But when I say children, I mean from you know picture books all the way up through young adults. And it's an industry conference. So we have agents and editors and publishers who come in from New York and California and different places. We bring them in to do a whole day of uh, craft and industry. So I've got that coming up. That's awesome. And, you know, you tell me about that on the side. I didn't even know they were doing that. Yeah. I'm actually uh, been involved in that organization for a number of years, and I've been doing that particular conference. Oh, my gosh. I've been facilitating that for about six years now the last two years formally as the assistant regional advisor to the SCBWI Arizona region. Wow. Well, you know, you just never know. You learn more about, about people as you as you get to know them <laughs> and the different things that's that they so do. And that's, and, and that's what's cool about sitting down and talking to people like this, you know. In a in that was we're just chatting, we're talking about some things that you do and, and all the different diverse things which really gives you a whole new dimension. I'm a multifaceted <laughs> individual, yes. <laughs> I have there's a line in one of my poems that actually says I've reinvented myself more times than Madonna. So <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, going like how many times have I changed you know? <laughs> mhm. Yep. And it's a never ending thing and it should be. So that's that's what it's all about. Um, yep. Two questions. Somebody asked me, uh, any research that you need to write your books? How much research goes oh, into this? There's always research. It's interesting. The Healer's Legacy has this whole, um, because she's a healer, she has to know about the plants and um, the flora that, you know, that help to heal. And so I did a lot of research into um, herbs and plants I at one time I used to kind of uh, I dipped my toe in that water anyway when I was living up in the Northwest a little bit so um, I did a lot of research into herbology and then I took that research and I in some cases I used the plants that existed some cases I actually renamed some of the plants that existed and in some cases I made up my own based on what I had learned so there's always things to learn. Um, 
I had to find out, when I was first writing The Healer's Legacy, I needed to know how far a horse could travel in a day. Yeah. Without, you know, without collapsing. How far you could walk in a day, depending on terrain. Um, you know, a healthy person. You know, what kind of trees grow at, typically at what geographic, or not geographic, but at what levels, you know, on a mountain. So that I could describe my forests and my mountains and, you know, even though there might only be one or two lines about the the environment, about the trees or whatever, I wanted it to be as real as possible. So there's always that. But I try not to let the research get in the way of the writing. So Mm -hmm. if I'm writing and I don't know what the trees look like, I will put a placeholder. Rather than go out and do the research right then and there, I'll generally put a placeholder, which I use three question marks. So that when I can, and I write in words, so I can always do a search find on the three question marks and go back and go, oh yeah, I need to go do this research. So um, I'll put placeholders. Mm -hmm. That way I can always go back and fill in after I've done the research. Oh yeah, question mark or or put a line in there knowing, knowing. yeah. (laughs) Whatever it is that you're going to do a search and, and find on. Um, so there's always there's always research. In fact, the book that is in the chiller right now, I did a lot of research on witchcraft and Wicca and things like that because there's things that I really wanted to know um, to make more real in that because it's an urban fantasy and it's mm-hmm. got uh, you know witches and werewolves and things like that going on in it. So I really wanted to do some solid research on what is out there uh, that you know, and then modify it to suit my world. But that's um that's the kind of thing that I do. There you go. And, you know, that's a question that a lot of a lot of um non writers or, or writers who are trying to break into the business, uh they ask that question a lot about research. Um yeah. a lot of people think you just sit down and write the book, don't you? No. No. I mean well, yes we do yeah. but we do, but then we go back and actually do research in order to make sure that that the idea is solid. Um, right. That, right. Yeah. Animal husbandry, uh, weaving, <laughs> what yeah. kind of uh, materials that you would expect to have in a civilization that was pre-industrial? You know, depending on where your setting is, that, those kinds of things. Drawing maps. You know. Yes. Understanding yeah. what a town looks like. You know, even if it's even if it's um, like my urban fantasy, it takes place in a somewhat small town. Um, I wanted to know what streets were there and, and how it was laid out and where the houses were and you know what it looked like, you know, and what the what the nearby environment looked like. So it was really important to me to make that as real as possible. So I draw my maps and I you know plan, plan that out. I I was on a panel recently with. Um, some really great writers, uh, David Brin and and Sam Sykes and Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, I was on a panel with them at uh, the Tucson Festival of Books this year. And one of the things that Patrick Rothfuss is um, amazing at is his world building. And he basically said that he's the creepy guy down in the basement building this world, and he knows all of these things about his world. And then, so that when he goes to write about it, and he writes about his characters, he already knows what the setting looks like. He already knows what the monetary system is. He already knows what kind of food and clothing they have, because he's been sitting down in his basement building this world. And we don't get to see (laughs) but a small part of that world. 
you know, in his books, even though his books are, you know, a thousand pages long, <laughs> we only get to see a small part of that world that he's built. But that's what gives it the real uh, grounding that you get in his books. Exactly. And and that's one reason that's uh, and that's what's the difference between a, a good writ has a good written book and a solid book. Because, mm-hmm. you know, yep. you're really submersed in that story because they've done their homework. Right. <laughs> and you have to do the homework. There's no way to get around it. That's right. You, you have to do your homework and you have to understand your characters and you have to do your homework in your craft to make sure that the way that you're writing is understood. You know, I don't I don't believe in formula writing, but there is structure to storytelling that is very helpful and that, you know, if you don't follow it, you need to be breaking the rules for a reason. Otherwise, people won't stay with you. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. They'll notice. They'll notice those kind of things. Right. We are at we are at the last five minutes, and I have a special question that I usually ask uh, my special uh, guests here on the show. And it really kind of funny because it's perfect for you. <laughs> okay. And you'll know why. It's now that you have successfully slain the dragon, how will you celebrate? Oh my gosh, that's a good. That's a great question. You know what? I celebrate with my readers every time I get to talk about my work. Every time I get to sit and talk with somebody about writing, about the books, about my characters, I, in a sense, am getting to celebrate the fact that this transmitter has a receiver. And that's the big thing for me. I happy dance a lot these days because I know people are picking up my books they're, and they're getting involved in them, they're getting engaged, they're disliking characters, they're liking characters, um, you know, they they want more. And so that's really, for me, it's it's an everyday happy feeling that I get to, to enjoy. And I get to do these things like this, go to the libraries. I'm going to get to the, go to the libraries every weekend in September and do that. I get to go on... At Comic-Con, I was a guest author this year, and that was just really so much fun for me, talking to uh, people about the craft, talking with other uh, with other authors about the craft and the writing and the characters in the books. I I love doing it, so that's my celebration. And that's such an awesome answer. <laughs> and it goes again, you so well with you uh, and your and your type of stories that you write. So. I thought, yeah, this is great. I have to ask her. And, you know, fun, the fun thing about the question is that everyone has a different answer. Right. <laughs> there's it, no it wrong goes, answer. There's no wrong, there's no wrong answer there at all. It has to do with their style. And uh, you learn more about the person based on what they answer. So it's an interesting question. Uh, it was asked to me on a blog once, and I thought, that's a great question. I'm going to have to use that. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great question. <laughs> so with that we are on the last few minutes and thanks so much for coming on because you know we, you you and I we do things at different uh, events and yet we just never have to, had a chance to sit down and talk about anything <laughs> it's and true so we, we're like two shifts have passed in the night really and uh, a lot like yeah. at the post office today <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was weird <laughs> 
to tell everybody the story about that. I, I walk in and I'm going like, okay, she looks familiar. She's got red hair. No, that can't be Sharon, can it? So I'm standing there and, and she, you were getting a little exasperated, I think, about even having to be there. <laughs> and and then you kind of look just shy and say, oh, it is her. And so I thought you said, Sharon? So, you know, you never know. It, this is a post office we both don't usually go to, and here we are, you know, right behind each yep. other. So. Too funny. <laughs> and that's, you know, it goes to show you that the world is not as big as we think it is. No, it's not. <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on. and uh, Thanks you know, for having me. I enjoyed it. This is a gift that keeps on giving, as I think you probably know. Uh, it's it's a gift because uh, once somebody, even if they didn't listen to it live, it keeps on giving because it goes in archive mode. And uh, I have people who go back for several years to listen to shows once they find they find uh, this channel. So uh, it's, that's something that I like being able to do and, and, and hand off and, and being able to get you the, I'll let, get Bob the, uh, obviously the, the embedded file so that way you guys can share it. And uh, and thanks so much because it's been in here. It's now dark now. It did rain. It did rain for a while. Not yeah, it rained here too. <laughs> Not anywhere near as much as we wanted to. Uh, so, but at least it was. It got wet a little bit. So yeah, it did get wet a little bit. Everyone, I know the Arizona. It wet. It got wet a little bit. It didn't pour. It just uh, you know kind of drizzled for a while. But uh, hopefully it'll come down a little more later. So I'm just glad to be inside during it. So, yeah. <laughs> thanks, well, thanks so much, again, Sharon. Patty. I've enjoyed it. Bye bye. Have a good night. Thanks. That was that was Sharon, and I just want to let everyone know about one more uh, really fast Kickstarter pro- Kickstarter for a friend of ours uh, who's trying to get a movie done, and uh, it's for Locker 13, and we wrote about it some time ago. Uh, back in the very first issue of the WAD newspaper, we had talked a lot about Locker 13 and the location in which they were doing their their shooting, and also uh, some of the uh, the people that were in the movie. So take a look at it. I've included it in the bottom here of the chat area, and you click on it and find out more about that Kickstarter. Again, every little bit helps, and they do give some uh, credits if you if you you know. Uh, give them a little bit of money, they could de- definitely put you in a credit movie. Kind of fun. So, with that, I'm going to see you guys on Thursday. We have another show coming up, but it'll be 5.30 p.m. Uh, Arizona time, Mountain time, and that'll be three hours difference. So, thanks so much, and see you as Patty Holstrand. This is K Radio signing out. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.